friends, and welcome to The Block, the Building, Learning, and Organizational Culture podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Kirby, and on today's episode, I chat with Zara Davidson of Huddlecraft about peer-to-peer learning and the best ways that we can learn from each other. Hey, Zara, how are you? Hey, I'm good, thank you. I'm well. I'm looking forward to Christmas, but I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm also looking forward to Christmas. So let's dive right in. We finally have a chance to talk after like missed connections and being ships passing. But I'd love to hear just a little bit about you, um, how you got to where you are today and anything fun you want to share. So yeah, maybe I'll start with Huddlecraft and who we are. So I'm I'm Zara and I run an organization called Huddlecraft. We are a community interest company based in London, although we work around the UK and increasingly a little bit abroad too. And we focus on the power of peer groups and the power of peer-to-peer learning. And we really exist because we think that over the next decade, coming years, that people really face the steepest collective learning curve they ever have, the steepest collective learning curve in history. And so we're really interested in in what peer-to-peer learning and and peer-led approaches have to offer that steep collective learning curve. And really, we want to surge as much peer-to-peer learning um, into organizations, communities, different spaces as we can in order to support um, with that with that collective learning that we all need to do. So that's a little bit about us. Um, and I think just to say something else about um, me and why I'm so nerdy when it comes to peer groups, I think <laughs> that interest in, in the power of small groups of people and, and what they can do together, I think that's really rooted for me both in art school and my experiences of sort of dynamic cohorts of people there Um, and then also earlier in my life as well um, I was lucky enough to grow up in a Sufi um, community here in the UK and so I saw from a very young age people coming together in in groups and supporting one another as a community. Um, So yeah really looking forward to chatting more with you today. Yeah, so kind of just give me a little bit of the inception and the history story of Huddlecraft. Mm. So it began in 2016, so going back Mm -hmm. some years now. Um, And at the time, we weren't called Huddlecraft, we were called Enroll Yourself back then. And we've Mm -hmm. gone through a process of changing our name this year. And it began not as a business, not as an organization, but it was really a side project for me at the time. It was something that I wanted to participate in myself and that I couldn't find um, on the market at the time. And I was working and I was doing work that I enjoyed. And I really felt I was missing a bit of a deeper stretch, I guess. I wanted Mm. to feel like I was still learning and pushing myself and pushing myself out of my comfort zone. Um, And I 
I wanted to recapture a kind of that that feeling from art school of being surrounded by a group of people who were all making something, doing something, creating something. And um, that used to really feed me. So I kind of I missed that. Um, and so I, I then got together with a friend of mine who wanted to change career at the time. And we mm. used to meet up and chat about these things. And um, I would say, you know, I don't have enough money to do a master's. I also don't have the time. I can't find what I'm looking for. And they would say pretty much the same thing, um, that the formal routes to changing their career weren't open yeah. to them. Um, and so from there, we started saying, well, you know, we're designers, we should design the solution then instead of just complaining to one another. Um, <laughs> and the idea for peer to peer learning really came from there. It was just a means to an end. It was like, how can we really use the resources that we have together and that maybe we can find within a group of other people who want to progress something at the same time? How can we really use that? Um, instead of, you know, needing other resources and, and tutors and spaces and a lot of the other things sure. you pay for with formal education. Um, and from there, we found a group of, of willing guinea pigs who wanted to join us on a, <laughs> on a six month pilot and off we went. Yeah, I love it. So one of the things that strikes me is I think that since I think really since COVID, peer-to-peer, um, -peer, social, cohort-based, you know, the many different forms of like social learning have become so trendy and popular, but you were doing it before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. And actually it's been really, it's been really interesting to see that sort of idea of mutual support have so much of a spotlight shone yeah. on it through, through COVID. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure if, it happened in exactly the same way where you are, but here there were these mutual aid groups popping up everywhere and WhatsApp groups and communities of all kinds. And I really do feel that's exactly what we've been doing with our peer groups, our huddles since the beginning, except with what we've been doing, there's just been an explicit goal of learning. Whereas, you know, in those cases, it was an explicit goal of sort of supporting one another through that difficult crisis. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been cool to see it sort of burgeon around us almost. It's it feels like that kind of thing, you know, where you um, suddenly start seeing things when you start talking about them, and you don't know whether it's because yeah. it's actually happening more in the world or whether you're just paying more attention. But it certainly feels like there's a huge move in learning in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. So walk me through kind of like. There, I know there's no typical huddle, but like walk me through like what the structure kind of looks like. Yes, sure. Yeah, and I feel it's important to start by saying the way that we work as an organization is that we train people as our hosts. And those people are often mm -hmm. freelance facilitators or community builders, learning designers, these kinds of people that that gather people and that's that's what they do and we train them as huddlecraft hosts and then they design and launch and host their own huddle around a theme that they care about and 
So those themes are really wildly different. We've actually just had a, a wave of hosts release 12 new huddles that are open online at the moment in some of them online, some of them local. Um, and yeah, themes ranging from parenting to getting beyond burnout in your working practice to reimagining what it means to be hopeful to getting entangled in the place where you live and putting down roots there, a real sort of wild, diverse um, range of different themes. And, and yeah, so if, if you were to sign up to one of those huddles, the way the structure works is that you, you would have conversations with that host, the person running that huddle to kind of see if there's a, a chemistry and a, and a good connection. And then if you began, you would be coming together with a group of 10 to 12 other people who are also really ignited by that theme. Usually you would all bring a learning question connected to that theme. So with the example of the parenting group that I gave, it might be that you're coming with a question about, you know, um, how, how can you develop something as your child grows? maybe through photography mm. or video, for example, that can really be a memento of their childhood when they're older. Or cool. it might be that you're coming with a more societal question, like what does it mean to raise children who are ready for the climate crisis ahead? You know, it could be anything connected to mm. that theme of parenting. And then over six months, the group will work together to pool their resources and to explore those questions together. They'll meet regularly throughout that time, running workshops for one another and um, reporting back on their progress with their learning question and then feeding into one another's questions. And usually a huddle will work towards a showcase event at the end where everybody in some way exhibits either their learning or, or the product of, of their learning. And then usually the group will sort of come together and reflect before they head off into whatever it is they're, they're going to do next. So it's always part time and it's always something that can fit in alongside work and alongside the other things going on in someone's life. Mm. But it, it, it is really there to provide that sort of structure to help the group really get the best out of one another and, and navigate that peer group structure yeah. as well. Yeah, and I think what's really powerful about it, well, I think there's a few things, right? I think that the idea of having accountability, like that's <laughs> that's why I signed up for all the grad degrees that I have is because like I struggle with keeping myself accountable, right? For like all of the different projects because I'm always starting something new, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I have like very shiny object syndrome. And so I love like the accountability piece that's built in but I also like the structure to it, right? Because it's more than just like, let's get our group of friends together and talk about this thing. Well, you know, if it's, especially if it's friends, if it's people close to you, you're like, it's okay, I can bail on them. And then that becomes like a habit in and of itself, right? And mm -hmm. you lose that structure and that accountability. But I also think that what's really powerful about it is that it really takes this idea of like, everyone researches differently. Everyone learns differently. Everyone has access to different resources and it can be really powerful to bring all those things together. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think you're, you're so right about accountability and how 
within friendships it's harder to maintain and so actually within huddles usually over six months people do become friends and so sometimes what we talk about instead of accountability is momentum because i think Mm. what happens usually is that people have this learning question and then they're coming back to a meetup maybe once every two weeks and then they're getting the energy of the group And so if they were to sort of draw a chart of their momentum and how that looked across the duration of six months, it would spike every time they see that group of people. And so I think the function is really continually nudging that level of momentum so that it stays on average far higher than it would if you were traveling on your own. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. I think that's a great point. So, yeah, I was looking at the list this morning on the website Mm. of all the different huddles. And, like, yeah, that's what I think is really important is that it really can be on anything. It's not, like, a specific learning and development topic or leadership or, you know, like, it really truly is anything, right? Like, financial responsibility or – so maybe you can tell me, like, a story of – well, maybe twofold, like the, your favorite huddle that you've seen from afar and then maybe the your favorite one that you've been involved in. Mm. Ooh, it's a great question. I think I'll start <laughs> with the my favorite one I've been involved in and maybe should reframe to a favorite one I've been involved in. Um, but I... <laughs> I participated in a huddle hosted by someone else during the pandemic, which was called Unraveling Time. And the Mm. theme, as it says on the tin, was about the concept of time. And I was really attracted to how wild that felt and how (laughs) I, I just wanted to know who else would be attracted enough to that theme to want to spend um, in that case, four and a half months exploring that, you know, and I just felt we're bound to have something in common if we have come together around that. Sure. Um, and we were all online because it was during the pandemic. So we were based in different parts of the world and it was such a fascinating mix of perspectives and, and backgrounds and identities that we had in that peer group. And I just found that time for me is such a generative topic to explore. So the sort of the real need that I had coming into that huddle was just to keep feeding my creative practice completely separate to my work. You know, I was working on Huddlecraft as an organization and that had its own momentum. And I just wanted the huddle to create this space where I could um, explore things and follow threads where I didn't know where they were gonna go and just play. And, and that's really what, yeah. what I did during, during that time. And I collaborated with another member of the group and we ended up creating this sort of back and forth artwork over 30 days where they would send me a creative prompt. I would make something at lunchtime and send it back. They would make something. Um, and then we, we sort of photographed all of these different things, little collages and stuff like that, that we made and eventually made a collaborative sort of digital collage out of everything that we'd created over the month. And it was just fun. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, like you bring up a really good point about like when you're when you're doing the business thing, right? When you're doing, you know, sometimes I think in learning and development especially, we ride that fine line of business and ops, but also like wanting to be creative and have that creative freedom. And I think a lot of times people get into our field thinking like, oh, well, I'm just gonna be a learning designer and I'm gonna have all this creative freedom to do whatever I want. And then they're quickly like bound by the red tape of their organization. Or like in your case, like if you just try an idea on a whim, it could be really detrimental to your business. So I think it's great that you found a way to kind of um, combine like you know, your own market research and, and get embedded in your own product, but also to like scratch that creative itch. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, as a team, we were three people in the core team at Huddlecraft during the pandemic and two of us were participating in huddles. Um, and, you know, I hope that a few of us in the team will also do the same thing in this next round. Cause I think that, you know, really, really knowing what it is that we do and really valuing it yeah. is so is so important. Um, and I, I, I do think that part of the thing that's really interesting for me about peer to peer learning or, or about our approach in particular is that every huddle is different. And even if it had the same theme, and even if it had the same host, it would be a different group of people, totally different questions and yes. therefore very different content every time. Um, and so it really is something that you can have a practice of, of doing over years is sort of come back into, into different groups because you're not repeating the same course in the way that you might be um, elsewhere or typically in education. I love that, that's great. Okay, so back to the second part of my question, what's your favorite mm -hmm. huddle that you've seen from afar? Yes, I know the answer to this one. I think it has got to be the group of fathers who were also mm, yes. working together as a huddle during the pandemic. I think at the time, again, we were an all female core team. And so we were sort of really fascinated by this group that we um, couldn't be part of in many ways. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think the reason why the reason why I would say that one is just because I think that there was something really brave from Sam, mm -hmm. who was the host of that group, in going out and saying, you know, men, do you want to be part of this group? And there was just something really sort of bold and radical about the fact that a group did manage to come together and, and form around this, despite how countercultural um, it might have felt in many yeah. ways. Um, and I, I really think it was of great support to many of those people who were going through all kinds of different um, challenges with their parenting and other things over that over that period of time. Um, it's something I could never have hosted myself, of course. And um, so it was just yeah. fascinating to see how flexible a huddle can be and how people mm -hmm. can really apply that in so many different ways. Yeah, yeah. The topic ideas are endless, right? <laughs> yeah. Endless. I actually think endless. Yeah. I, I think there are some things for sure that it suits better than others. So, sure. 
you know, there are some things which people come and say, what about a huddle for learning languages or something like that? And I've always said where there's a well-charted path to learning something that exists Mm. already, then a huddle probably isn't the best way to uh, go about doing that learning. But where you are doing something exploratory or uncertain or you don't know where you want to end up, um, then it's it's the right way to go. Yeah, I love it. So what would be, if somebody came to you and said, why would I, why would I use Huddlecraft? Why would I do a huddle? Why can't I just do this on my own? What would your response be? Mm. And, and when you imagine this person, are they an individual who might join a huddle thinking, why don't I just pursue this learning on my own? Or are they a host? Why don't like I set loop, up? Even, yeah, yeah, more of like the host. Like, why don't I just set this up with people I know or people on Reddit or, you know, <laughs> insert yeah. other random internet gathering? Mm-mm-mm. There are lots of reasons, but I, I also think it is important to say that, you know, you can do that and that is very possible. I think what you really benefit from as part of the host fellowship, which is this group of hosts that we train and support together, is again, the shared momentum. So the fact that everyone is is traveling together, you really gain a lot in terms of refining your proposition because we all go through a structured process of sort of giving feedback and so on. And we've learned a lot as an organization about how to frame a theme in a way that will resonate and in a way that makes it a large enough tent that you might actually be able to recruit a full group. Um, And then of course the benefits in terms of us supporting you to actually find the participants and hosts supporting one another to find the right participants. And this is, you know, not to mention all of the support throughout actually hosting the huddle itself, because all of our hosts have a mentor, someone who's done it before, um, and they can help the host to really navigate all of our resources and our host guide and everything that's there that we've sort of built up over the years that someone can just pick up and run with rather than having to start from scratch. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. Like the we we know what we're doing because we've done this before <laughs> is always a very good um, selling point for anything, right? Like, um, you know, fixing a car, right? Are you going to take your car to the mechanic who's never fixed a car before? Or are you going to take it to the person who's been in business for 20 years, right? So mm. I think that's a really great point. Yeah, and I think we really try and strike a balance between saying, this is tried and tested for us. We've we have a structure for huddles which we have done six months face to face and three months online and 4.5 months blended and we've shaped it in all kinds of different ways already and therefore we have a lot of experience that we can offer so we obviously try and bring that but at the same time we really are also wanting to encourage the host to shape it for themselves again and and take it in the direction they want to go in um and and so sometimes that feels like the harder thing to do you know because people come expecting to need to follow a set of instructions um 
And actually a lot of the time what we're doing is saying to people, no, full permission. Like, how do you want to make this yours as well? Yeah, because you can't really host like a huddle that you're like, oh, this is truly exploratory. Like make it without having that on the back end as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So my last question for you would be, and I'm sure that you've done a a lot of research on this, but if somebody just wanted to know more about peer to peer learning and kind of where to start, what resource would you suggest and why? Mm, well, at the risk of being really self-referential, I would definitely say check <laughs> out our blog and our free resources. Sure. And you can find those via our website. Um, we've written quite a bit and created quite a lot of tools at this stage. So that's definitely one Love place it. I would go. I would also say to people, look at Liberating Structures, which is a website that you can find online. There are lots and lots of tools and structures there that are great for peer-to-peer learning and that are easy to pick up and use. Structures that will help a group of people to, um, as I was saying before, you know, just get the most out of themselves and one another. And I would also say check out Micro Solidarity from Richard Bartlett at The Hum. Um, The Hum are an organization that are, as I understand it, using a lot of peer-to-peer principles, but within organizations and organizational culture specifically. And Mm. they have written quite a lot about peer-to-peer that could be useful for people. Great. Those are some great resources. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining me today. This has been so much fun. Yeah, this has been great fun. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks again for joining me on the blog. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and review us on your favorite podcast platform. I hope you'll tune in again soon.